This summer, um, we're going to, I think it's a really exciting, there's going to be a lot of different voices joining me um, in teaching this summer. We're back into the book of Mark, which we kind of keep packing in. So throughout this summer, um, Danny's going to be speaking and Rob, Steve Dangle will be speaking a couple times. If you know Andrew West, Andrew West is going to come down in a few weeks. Andrew served here for a long time as a senior pastor up in Auburn, Grass Valley. He'll be down and, and speaking and teaching as well. So it's kind of a fun way as you get to hear a lot of different voices preaching God's Word throughout the summer. This morning, uh, Patrick McDonald is with us. Patrick is a part of Calvary. He is with us. He served here on staff as a middle school pastor and sports ministry pastor. He currently is a Bible teacher at Valley Christian, and school ended for him. So here is a teacher on summer break, which means he just says, relax, enjoy. So let's welcome Patrick. Yeah, so as a teacher, I've found that there's nothing quite like the month of May. Um, not only is there a lot going on, uh, but you see a shift in your students, or at least I see a shift in my students and kind of how they approach me and approach my class. Um, because there's a lot of questions around, uh, excuse me, uh, Mr. McDonald, so I've got to be plus right now. Uh, is there anything that I can do? And usually the answer is, well, you know, you've got seven missing assignments, so why don't you figure it out? Um, but, but then sometimes, too, it's like, well, which, which one do you think I should do? Okay, well, let's take a look at it. Um, how good are you at math? How much are these worth? You could either do these three small assignments or this one big one. Um, sometimes they even just say, you know what? I teach Bible. Like, if you could read some Bible passages, like, we could give you some points. Um, but it's very clear that by the end of the year, maybe not for every student, but for many students, right, their focus goes from, you know, instead of like learning to better themselves, uh, thinking, you know, I'm at a Christian school, I just want to be transformed for the rest of my life, um, to like, what's going to show up on my report card, and how's that going to look for colleges, or how are my parents going to feel about it? Um, and so, kind of we see the shift, right, where now all of a sudden, um, they are more concerned with, with the short term. Just get the details done, um, get done what has to happen, and then we can kind of move on and forget about it, um, which obviously is every teacher's dream situation. Um, and instead, you know, one of the things that we hope to impress upon students is this idea that there are things in life that are a lot more important than your grade. And when it comes to learning, hopefully we can sprinkle in some elements, maybe we sneak them in in some of these assignments, that will actually change the way that you view yourself, will change the way that you view life, will change the way that you view God. Maybe you'll be able to grow in some of this actual knowledge and wisdom. But I do think we live in a culture and a society where it can be difficult to even know where to begin. Like, where do we find this? Um, and if we are even interested in finding some of these answers, it's often like, how can I do it quickly? Because we're just used to getting things done quickly these days. We value efficiency. We value our time. Um, and to be honest, I am a proponent of like, don't work harder than you have to. Um, but if that starts to sneak into kind of our character or our spiritual life, I think it can lead us down a path that we don't want 
to really be on. I found it interesting um, when I got this weekend and uh, pulled open Mark, and I was like, you know, the last time we were in Mark, I was also the one up here. So for me, it was really, really nice because I was like, half my prep's already done. Um, but let's, let's back up for a second and just remind ourselves kind of what has been happening, what's going on. Uh, we'll start with the very, very first verse in Mark, because this really sets the stage for his entire book. And it's very clear and it's very simple, which is, which is really nice. Here Mark writes, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So Mark is making it very clear. I'm writing you a story. It's about this guy named Jesus, and he's not just another person, right? He is God's Messiah that has been sent. He is God's Son, the person that we have been waiting for for thousands and thousands of years. And if we go back to um, the passages right before what we get to this morning, Right? We see kind of this interesting uh, mix of some miracles, some arguments, some discussions, some confusion. So first we see that Jesus, at the end of Mark 7, he heals a man who was deaf and mute. Right? And I don't know if you remember, I'm pretty sure Dale taught on this passage, and he talked about how kind of awkward it would have been, right? Because Jesus puts his fingers in the guy's ears, he spits and touches the guy's tongue, Right? I feel like from our cultural perspective, you'd have to be pretty desperate to be like, let's give this a shot, right? So after Jesus does that healing, he goes and he feeds 4,000 people, right, with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. It's the second time we read about Jesus feeding a bunch of people, about him multiplying all the loaves. And here, we've got these two miracles back to back that both have clear messianic implications, right? Meaning for the people at that time who were wondering and hoping and awaiting for the Messiah and had heard rumors and maybe grumblings, depending on their viewpoint, about this might be the person that God is going to send, right? Something like healing someone miraculously and then multiplying bread kind of as a reference back to when God provided manna from heaven for the Israelites in Egypt, they would have known, like, these are signs that are pointing us that maybe this is the Messiah that we have waited for. Then we get to meet up with our friends, the Pharisees, um, and they're not so excited about things that Jesus has been doing, so they kind of demand a sign from him. And he responds, um, by basically saying, like, no, like, I'm not going to give it to you. Like, you've seen what you've seen. This should be enough. I understand where you're coming from, and you are not asking for a sign because you want to participate. Like, you're asking for a sign because you want to try and prove that I am not who I have claimed to be. And then Jesus has a small discussion with the disciples. says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Or he's kind of warning them about how there are different things in life that are going to tempt us and kind of lead us astray from following God. 
right? And these things could come from, they could be worldly things, and they could also be kind of religious, spiritual things, like the Pharisees struggled with, right? And he brings this up, and the disciples still don't quite get it, right? They're a little bit confused, and at the very end of that discussion, Jesus ends it with, do you still not understand? And that brings us to Mark 8, 22, where we will start this morning in our passage. Mark 8, 22 through 26. So after that discussion that I just mentioned, Mark writes, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on them, on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, don't even go into the village. Now, this story, in some ways, kind of is the the capstone of um, the stories and the passages that we just reviewed, right? And if you read through some of the theologians and the Bible scholars as they try and analyze the way that Mark was written to kind of get a sense of the flow and the narrative and the purpose. This is also kind of bringing to a close the first roughly third to half um, of his book, where Mark is showing his readers who Jesus is. And moving forward, He's going to focus a little bit more on the importance of what it looks like, what our responsibility is if we take Jesus seriously as God's Son. Now, it would be tempting to read through a story like this and just think like, you know what? Jesus healed someone. He must be special. Like, that was really cool. And kind of move on with the story. Um, But I think there's a few things that we want to slow down for that stand out. Um, The first is, if we think about where Jesus left us off with the disciples, when they're a little bit confused about kind of these spiritual realities that he's talking about, and he ends with, do you still not understand? The very next thing Mark does is he tells this story to show us, first and foremost, that Jesus is the only one who can give us spiritual sight. Right? The disciples have seen what Jesus has done. They've heard the things that he's been teaching them. They've had discussions with each other. Mark's presented us with people who have various viewpoints on how much they agree or disagree with Jesus. But part of what Mark is doing here in this passage is making it clear that Jesus and Jesus alone can provide us with the spiritual sight, the spiritual wisdom 
that we need. Um, John talks about this a little bit as well in his gospel. One of my favorite passages comes from John 15. Um, You may be somewhat familiar with Jesus talking about the vine and the branches. And here in verse 5, John writes that Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Yes, who said that? Amen. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So when it comes to our spiritual lives and our spiritual journeys, with our relationship with God and our relationship with other people, Jesus is the only one who can provide what we need to see and live clearly. One of the things that Dale mentioned a few weeks ago in in our last sermon series, he talked about this idea between justification and sanctification, right? And so, um, maybe you're super familiar with those words. Maybe you're like, this is only the second time I've heard them. Either way, right, this whole idea is with justification comes with about salvation. When you choose to put your faith in Jesus, something happens, something changes. We become made righteous like God, and we get to spend eternity with Him. But it doesn't just stop there. Our spiritual journey is just beginning. And the idea of sanctification has to do with how the Holy Spirit works in our lives to make us more and more like Jesus. And one of the things that Jesus said to his disciples before he left was he told them, like, do not be afraid that I am leaving you because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he actually tells them, it is better for you that I go away so that the Spirit may come. Because he knew even then for his disciples who got to spend life face-to-face, side-by-side with Jesus, that there was something different, something more intimate, and something more helpful and something deeper about experiencing God's presence residing inside of you, His Holy Spirit living in you is even better than physically walking side by side with Jesus during His ministry. So not only does He say that He's the only way that we can do nothing apart from Him, but He makes sure we're not stranded and all alone. And He says, I will be with you through my Spirit each and every day from the day you place your faith in Jesus until eternity. Now, another thing that stands out, I don't know how many times I had to read this growing up before um, I realized something odd here. But did anybody else notice, like, the first attempt Jesus made didn't, didn't seem to do the trick? Like, doesn't that seem a little bit odd? I mean, He's the Son of God, right? He doesn't really have need do-overs, right? It's not like when you're playing a video game and you lose and you just start the level over and you get better and better and beat it. It's not like he was practicing these miracles. 
So why did he choose to extend kind of the drama in this miracle? And then why did Mark choose to include it in this passage? And the big thing that stands out here is how our spiritual growth and our spiritual healing is often a process. Right? Placing our faith in Jesus is important. The single most important decision we could ever make in this lifetime. Yet it's not like a one-time fix-all, life is now perfect, we are now amazingly mature and make great decisions all the time. No. We're still human. We're still fallible. But it's the beginning of a journey where we can become more and more like Christ. And that's part of what Mark illustrates here in the way that he includes this passage, is that our spiritual sight, our spiritual maturity, some of this is going to come with time. It's a process. We've even seen these disciples, right? They've been with Jesus a long time. And if you look at kind of their understanding, I mean, it's kind of like the stock market. There's ups and downs, and hopefully it's trending upward. But it's not a perfectly smooth, easy journey. Paul writes about this too um, in the book of Colossians. He's writing to this, this church, and he talks about one of his, uh, some of what he's praying for them. And in Colossians 1.9, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And what is he praying? He says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Right? So, Paul here is he's recognizing the fact that our growth spiritually is a process. And that we need God to make this happen. And we need to be praying for that for ourselves and for others. Something else that stands out to me is the fact that people took the blind man to come see Jesus, right? And there's a level of needing to be, like, intentional around this. Jesus didn't just appear on earth and be like, boom, like everybody's saved, everybody's perfect, everybody's amazing, right? There is an element where this is a relationship, and that means there's a role that we have to play when it comes to our spiritual growth. It's not all on us, and we cannot accomplish this on our own, but we do need to be intentional in this process. Later in Colossians in chapter 3, Paul writes, since then 
You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Right? So, he's encouraging us to set our hearts and our minds on the things of God. Because if we think back to the yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of Herod, there are always going to be things competing for our affection. There are always going to be things competing for our time. There are always going to be things competing for our effort and our energy. And the reality is that while we need Jesus to give us spiritual sight, where we need Him to help us grow, where we need the Holy Spirit working in our lives, if we want to become more like Christ, if we are turning and running the other way, if we are putting up our hands to try and block, if we are doing whatever we can to pursue whatever we want, especially if we know deep down it's not what's really best for us, although maybe it feels exciting or looks good in the moment, that this will have a harmful effect on our relationship. This will have a harmful effect on our spiritual growth. And it is up for us to be intentional about the way that we spend time with God and the way that we spend time with others. And along the same lines, one of the things we see is that, that the blind man, right, he did not get there on his own. He literally had people carry him there. And our spiritual faith, our spiritual growth, like we need community. We need people who are going to help us in our journey. And I encourage you to think for just a moment. Do you... Do you have someone who literally would pick you up and carry you to Jesus if that's what you needed? And think, are you the type of person, do you have someone in your life that you would go out of your way to pick up and to carry to Jesus if that's what he or she needed? even if he doesn't know, or even if she doesn't want. One of my friends that, that comes to mind, um, some of you know him, um, my friend Court. I have known him since middle school. Uh, we were a part of the high school youth group under the esteemed youth pastor Gustafson in this very room. Um, and one thing that uh, I love about Court is over, over the years, and it's been a long time since, it's been over a decade since we've lived in the same area, uh, but we still, we still keep in contact. Um, and there's times where I've called him, and he's like clearly busy, like, you know, on a roof um, building a house. But, you know, and he's like, I don't, I don't have much time. It's getting windy. And I'm like, okay, no, it's fine. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, um... He's like, Pat, how's your faith? <laughs> I'm like, Court, you know, I kind of want to just like talk about the Giants or the 49ers for a few minutes. Um, like, especially if we only have five minutes, right? And that's often my attitude is like, you know what? Like, there's only a few minutes. Like, 
just something easy, something surface level, maybe a couple laughs and we can move on. Um, but Court's attitude, at least in my life and I know in the lives of many of his friends, has always been more of like, well, if we only have five minutes, then we better just start talking about what's most important right away. And he's been someone who's consistently challenged me when I've moved, you know, and again, I feel like I've barely unpacked. And he's like, so have you found a solid group of Christian men who can um, help keep you accountable and help encourage you? And I'm like, Court, like, I, I don't even, I haven't met anybody, right? Um, but he's like, all right, well, that's what I'm praying for you. Um, but I'm so thankful to have people like that in my life. Um, because I couldn't do that without them, right? And I hope I can be a similar friend to others where it's like, you know what? Like, we all need help. We all need Jesus. We all need each other. But especially the kind of group and society and the culture that we live in today, we do need to be a little more intentional than maybe we're used to or than maybe we expect Right? It's not ever going to be simply enough to come every Sunday and think that we could genuinely meet and develop relationships with others um, who could be that level of support, where you'd feel comfortable having those conversations. And sometimes it might mean we need to step in a little earlier or a little clearer or a little more direct in order to help facilitate and promote that type of growth and that type of community and that type of friendship. Because the reality is it does take time. You know, one of the things I love about teaching is summer. Um, and it does bring a new and a different kind of rhythm to, to life. And for me and, and for my family, one of the differences between the school year and summer is the difference between grilling and barbecuing. Because when I'm at home and I ask the kids, you know, what do, what do you want for dinner? Um, I would say definitely two days a week, almost without fail throughout uh, the school year. Like, there's one day where we do skirt steak, and there's one day where we do chicken thighs, and it's because I turn the grill on, and we can be eating within 30 minutes, right? Um, and my kids are still young enough that there's often requests, like, at 5.15, oh, Dad, could we do ribs? I'm like, no, honey. Like, I needed to put the ribs on six or seven hours ago. Oh, oh man, yeah, remember like I was at work, you were at school. Oh, that's right. right? But now summer, hey, Dad, can we do ribs? I'm like, yeah, we can do ribs, right? Because those are the things that take time. Now, I love, I mean, I just, I love food, I love grilling, I love barbecue, and I love dinner. But there's something different about the level of flavor, the depth of flavor, the tenderness of the meat that you get when you can cook something for six, eight, ten, twelve hours, however long it takes, as opposed to cooking something for 15 or 20 minutes. 
And I think there's a close parallel when it comes to the things that really matter in life and that they take time. Right? Building a relationship with God is going to take time. It doesn't mean it's not great from the beginning, but we simply can't experience the same level of trust, the same level of depth until we've actually journeyed through the ups and downs of life with Jesus and with other friendships and relationships. We can't experience that same level of trust, that same level of depth, until we've been able to share some of those things together. And when I think about the people who have been significant in my life and some of those relationships, I mentioned court. You know, we had four years of high school youth group together. I have a friend, Kyle, who lives in Washington. We served on staff at a church for three years. And it's really hard to just manufacture those things or expect them to happen quickly. But they're also not going to just happen on accident. Right? And we can't assume that just because we've been to the same church as someone or we've worked at the same business or we've taught at the same school um, or that our kids have played on the same sports team for a while, we can't assume that those things alone are going to be enough. They might be enough to get us in the same spot. Um, some of those kind of outside factors might play a big role into kind of shaping who our natural community ends up being. But we do want and have to be more intentional. And so I would encourage all of us over this next week to think through, like, what is one thing, what is one thing you can do? What is one thing I can do to be more intentional about our spiritual growth and about our relationship with Jesus? And it doesn't have to be something that looks or feels or sounds like this great life-changing experience. Because a lot of things that take time are really more about being consistent in the small things over time. All right, maybe it's just saying, you know, I'm going, to read, I'm going to read Scripture every day for a whole week. Maybe it's been a long time since I've ever done that, and that's okay. Maybe it's just one verse a day. It's not like we have to read through all of Mark. Maybe we'll just pray every day. Say, you know what, I haven't prayed in a while. Or, you know what, I only pray sometimes. Or I only pray at dinner. Right? I, I have found when it comes to prayer, it's easy for me to drift into praying at the dinner table and then praying with my kids when I put them to bed. Right? Both good things. Um, but that's not really kind of the depth of a prayer life um, that I want for my own spiritual growth. Um, but it's easy. It's easy to drift. 
So what, what is one thing that you can do to be more intentional, to adjust when it comes to your spiritual growth? And maybe what's one person or one conversation you can have with somebody to be more intentional about growing, going deeper and setting the stage for a friendship that can support each other spiritually? And again, not expecting huge, dramatic changes each day, but doing these things consistently for weeks and months and years, it really, really, really adds up. So let's set our hearts and minds. Let's set our schedules. Let's set our efforts so that we're in a place and a posture to receive spiritual sight from Jesus this week. Let's pray. God, I thank You for Calvary. I thank You for the people here. I pray when summer comes to a close that everybody here, we would look back on our spiritual lives and we would say that we have grown closer to You during that time. Amen.